Good morning. Hey, we're glad you're here. We're involved in a series of sermons called Family Under Attack. And uh, one of the things we've been focusing on is that your marriage and your parenting is your responsibility. And uh, one of the things that we'd like to offer uh, as some help for that, we have marriage enrichment classes going here. That's already started. But there is a weekend to remember coming up, and there are some uh, people here who would love to help you with some scholarships. The weekend to remember is in Cranberry, November 8th through the 10th, and then in Monroeville, 15th through 17th of November. And if that's something you'd like to do, again, we have individuals here who have generously offered uh, to do uh, full scholarships and partial scholarships. So if you would like to be a part of that, whether you're at our Washington campus or Robinson campus or joining us online or here at the South Hills campus, then just email me, rmore, at biblechapel.org, and I will send your information to those who will uh, help you get the, the scholarship that you need because uh, we don't want uh, any uh, money holding you back from getting uh, the help uh, that you need. So again, weekend to remember, November 8th through 10th, Cranberry, November 15th through 17th uh, in Monroeville, and we pray that you would take advantage of that. We also want to remind you that uh, during this series, we want to give you all the resources uh, that you uh, need, not just to come on a, on a Sunday morning. Uh, we have a book that's available online and in the bookstore that you can uh, check out regarding a lot of the things we've been uh, talking about. Uh, the Biblical Manhood series that Tunchokin and I have uh, done, been on the radio, the last day was Friday. Uh, you can go to the Journey website and uh, order that if you want it in CD form, or we'll have some of that uh, in the um, uh, bookstore as well. And then the daily devotions, we encourage you uh, to sign up for that so we can continue this uh, conversation throughout the week. Let's pray and ask God for His help today. Father, we, uh, we have sung our prayer, uh, we need your Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus, we need you to come to our rescue. We look around us in this world, and there is absolutely no place else to go. Every, every path leads to a dead end. Uh, every road is a uh, frustrating and, and futile but we need Jesus. And we thank you that um, you are there for us and that you meet our needs, that you meet us right where we are and don't leave us there, but you take us to the place of forgiveness and the place of uh, redemption and the place of restoration. So be with us today, Lord, as we look at a, a subject of Scripture that uh, would be, will be hard for some. And we pray that you would uh, open our hearts to hear what you want us to hear this morning and open our hearts to do what you want us to do. In Christ's name, amen. Uh, John was uh, absolutely my best friend. He was one of uh, the only childhood friends that I had that, I, uh, that, w that we kept in, in touch with during our adult life. The weekend Lori and I were married, John was there, and uh, he helped me set up this huge charcoal grill for the rehearsal dinner. And we both agreed that gas grills are for sissies. I mean, come on. 
Go inside and cook on the stove if you're going to do gas, right? Charcoal. On the day uh, we were married, um, Laura and I were married, uh, I know you're not supposed to see your bride on that day, I know that's traditional, but uh, John and Laura and I uh, got an old pickup truck and, and we drove to a nearby town to get some stuff for the, uh, for the reception that night. Lori and I uh, always kept up with John through uh, emails, letters, phone calls, visits. John was very active uh, in his church. He was in a Bible study every Sunday, every Saturday morning with uh, his pastor. It met at the pastor's house. He attended seminary. In fact, uh, he wrote an excellent study on uh, living together before marriage. I have it in my files, a subject we covered last time together. We moved to Pittsburgh, and the kids were young. Laura used to uh, take the kids during the summer and should go back for sometimes two or three weeks or more and, uh, to visit the grandparents. And so while she was away, uh, John would uh, come to Pittsburgh. He'd drive up to Pittsburgh, and, and we always had a project that we planned during the year. Laura would have a project for us to do. Uh, I look around my house, and uh, there's so many uh, things that uh, John and I did together, uh, putting up a, a ceiling in our, in our family room or, or laying a tile floor in another room our wooden floor uh, in another room, uh, or tearing down an old shed in, in the back. Prior to coming to Pittsburgh, John and I would be emailing back and forth and on the phone together, and he'd say, let's do a Bible study together. And so uh, during breakfast, we would go through this uh, study together and have a, have a good time in, in God's Word. And, and then after breakfast, we'd start our day's uh, project and work uh, through the day, sometimes into the night. In the evening, we'd rent a movie and or, or go to a, a Pirates game. And then when the week was over, uh, John and I would uh, get up early and we'd get in the car and we'd drive straight through to Oklahoma trying to break the record we had set the previous summer. <laughs> Our times together were just a lot of fun. We, had, uh, we, we joked around a lot and we ragged on each other and we had some serious conversations. And um, often on those here and on those trips back, John would start telling me about some of his dreams for life, the things he wanted to do, and, and the things that he was frustrated about. And I'd say, John, man, your problem is this. You need to get married. You need a wife. That'd solve everything. <laughs> and we'd go through that story again of uh, the girl he dated in college, and he thought he was going to marry, and then how that ended not well, and a woman he was going to take out for lunch after church or planned to, or a woman in his office he planned to take out. John was a cherished friend. So a few years ago, when he wrote me a letter to tell me he was gay, I, uh, I never saw it coming. He told me that there were many times he wanted to tell me in person, but he just couldn't do it. In fact, he told me that at night, when we'd go to bed, he would uh, be off in another part of the house in tears because another day went by, and he couldn't sh share with me this, uh, this struggle he was going through. You see, while I'm fully aware that there is a strong gay agenda in our country, I'm convinced that most people who struggle with homosexuality do not speak from political platforms or march in gay pride parades. They are friends, brothers and sisters, sons 
and daughters. So today I want to speak as clearly as I can about this personal and often emotional subject of homosexuality. Five things you need to know about homosexuality. Number one, the real struggle with homosexuality is not cultural, it's personal. For certain, homosexuality has gained front page uh, status in today's culture, and the debate over gay rights has gone all the way to the Supreme Court, and it will be a hot topic for many years to come. And it's no secret that our culture is working overtime to make sure homosexuality is acceptable and just, uh, and just presented as a, as a normal thing. My purpose today is not to discuss the origins of a person's homosexuality or even discuss society's response. Again, the issue for most people here today, and there are many of you here, dealing with homosexuality, it's not a cultural thing, but it's a, it's a personal thing. I spoke to an individual in my office just a few uh, months ago, and um, and uh, she had struggled with homosexuality as long as she could remember. And she remembers early on being attracted to other girls. And she didn't know why that was the case. And she was frustrated by it. And she felt guilty about it. And she was confused about it. And she said, I went to bed every night praying that when I woke up the next day, I would be a boy. Another individual who grew up at our, at our church, I, I talked with her, and she said, you know, um, I, I, I was a believer. I fell away from the Lord. And I, got hung out, I started hanging out with the wrong people, and I started doing the wrong things, and I started going the wrong places, and I started going to a lot of bars. And she said, Ron, i got to tell you one thing. When you're a young woman, you don't want to be in a bar around drunk men. And so she went to a gay bar. She said, there I found immediate acceptance without being threatened. And it was a safe place to deal with my confusion. Another person I spoke to who's given in to the gay lifestyle felt abandoned by his father and was abused as a child. I preached on this topic many times over the years. I'll never forget preaching on it I think it was the first time I preached on it, back in 1993, hard to believe, 20 years ago. Um, all the sermons were listed in the bulletin as they are uh, today, and I was uh, getting ready to go. We were at Peters Township High School, and I was getting ready to go up front and uh, speak, and right when I was walking down the aisle, a couple stopped me, an older couple. I'd known them for a long time, strong believers, longtime members of our church. And they said, hey, I'm interested in what you have to say today. You may have not known this, but our son uh, is gay. He's a great guy, and uh, we really love him. We're interested in what you have to say. Now, I can promise you I didn't change one thing I was going to say. But I can tell you that on the way up, I prayed, God, help me to put forth your truth in gentleness and respect. And a few years later, I got a call from that same couple, broken early one morning, and their son had, uh, had died. And they asked me if I'd do the funeral. 
and as I met with that family and his partner to prepare uh, the message, my prayer was that God would enable me to speak a message of truth and grace. You see, um, too many of us, and I'm guilty of this, too many of us are masters at depersonalizing sin, aren't we? We depersonalize sin as if it's something the government is doing or education is doing or, or the culture in Hollywood is doing. But it exists right here among us, in our families, in our lives, in our church. We love, to, we love to put it on other things and other people. That's easy because then we don't have to deal with it. But these are issues we have to deal with. And we have to deal with as a church. And quite honestly, when the AIDS epidemic was going forth and the church's only response was good enough for you, that's the consequences of your sin probably wasn't the best way to address the issue, was it? And we're still dealing with those consequences today. So the first thing I want to say is the struggle with sin, any sin, is everybody, is, is our issue, not everybody else's. It's, it's my issue. It's the issue of those we love it's the issue of those we worship with. And in the context of a church, we care for each other. We're doing this thing together. And we have to speak about these issues clearly and truthfully, but always with love and respect. Now, even though it's a personal issue, again, we got to speak the truth. Speaking the truth is not judging another person. Speaking the truth is taking God's word and starting there as the standard. So the second thing we need to know about homosexuality is it is not God's design. Look at Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2. I'll find it here in a second. That is the first book in the Bible, isn't it? Here we go. Genesis chapter 2. Verse 7, the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground, and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. Look at that word formed. It's the Hebrew word yatsar. It, 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 it likens God to a potter working with clay. God formed the man with all his parts. Then verse 18 of chapter 2, the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. Everything else in creation this time, God said it was good, it was good, it was very good, but it's not good for the man to be alone. I'm going to make a helper suitable for him. I'm going to make someone to meet his aloneness. I'm going to meet someone to remedy his aloneness, to remedy what he needs. I'm going to make a counterpart for him. So who's the counterpart? Look at verse 21. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep, and while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs, and he closed up the place with the flesh, and the Lord God made, that word is bana, it means to build. God built a woman from the rib he had taken from the man with all her parts. 
And then verse 24, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to the woman he created for her. And they will become one flesh. See, homosexuality is not God's design. God did not make another man to meet the needs of a man. And God did not make his design a woman to meet the needs of a woman. He made the woman to complete the man and the man to complete the woman. Male and female, he created them. A man and a man cannot meet each other's needs. A woman and a woman cannot meet each other's needs. Why do I say that? How would I know that? Because it's not God's design. To be sure, the homosexual relationship cannot be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. That design of God is not a culture, cultural anomaly. It's the creative norm. The marital relationship is to be between one man and one woman for life. God's design for sex is to be between a man and a woman in marriage. God's design for procreation can only happen when What God has given the man enters into what God has given the woman. Homosexuality is not God's design. Now, you're not going to hear that from the culture. In fact, there's a very popular song out now. I know many of you have heard it. It was number two for a long time. It's remained in the top ten, Same Love. Anyone heard that? Macklemore is the guy. Who wrote it? And um, it's, a, it's a catchy tune. And I encourage you to go watch it. Watch the video. Parents, watch the video. And then watch it with your children. They're age appropriate. And talk through that video with them. Talks all kind, a lot about the church and how the the church has not accepted and how the church is judgmental and how this book, this, this book is antiquated. But it makes it seem like it's just okay. Watch it with your children. Well, my children would never watch videos like that. Please. Please. Please, 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 please. Because it's not God's design, number three, Homosexuality is sin. Anything out of God's design is sin. And we can say that lovingly and we can say it with respect, but we have to put it forth as the truth. See, right after Genesis 2 comes Genesis 3. Every time. It's amazing how that works. And in Genesis 3, sin entered the world. And now God's ideal, his design, is marred by sin. And sin so often shows up, doesn't it? In the gift of sex. Homosexuality is not what God designed. It's not what God desired. It is a misapplication of what he designed. It is a distortion of his design. And it is sin. Certainly it is a temptation for many, many of you here. And it is powerful. And it is strong. And it is emotional. The temptation itself is not sin. 
The giving into the temptation is sin. Those who practice homosexuality are engaged in a lifestyle of sin. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Turn there with me if you would. 1 Corinthians 6, verses 6, or verses 9 through 10. Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Now, we've got to slow down there and say, okay, who are the wicked? We're all sinners. So if it just means all sinners, then no one's going to inherit the kingdom of God. It's not what Paul means here. The wicked are those who continue in a lifestyle of sin, who are not repentant about their lifestyle of sin, who see their lifestyle of sin as okay, and who just keep going that way. Do, you not, do not be deceived. Now Paul says, who, who, what, is the, what are these lifestyles of sin? Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanders, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Those who give in to and pursue those lifestyles are not believers. They will not inherit the kingdom of God. Of God. In 1 Timothy, Paul says those who practice homosexuality, those who again have given in to that lifestyle. See, sex before marriage is a sin. Sex outside of marriage is the sin of adultery. Sex between a man and a man or a woman and a woman is a sin and carries dangerous consequences. Like every other sin, Homosexuality is revolting and abhorrent in the eyes of God. Like every other sin, it cannot be explained away by things that have happened in our past. Like every other temptation, it is a strong drive that must be disciplined and contained. And some of you are saying, Ron, you're full of it. You see, this is different. So you don't have a clue. This is something I've been struggling with all my life. And, um, and it's different. And some of you teenagers, in a world where this is accepted, you're saying, yeah, it is different. You know, those people who, who go into homosexuality life, so they're not hurting anyone. And, and why shouldn't they be able to be with those they love? Well, teenagers, let me ask you a question. If your dad came home tomorrow night and sat at the table and said, I just want to tell you guys, I'm involved in an adulterous relationship. And um, I'm going to move out this week, move in with my this lovely young woman. And probably mean that you guys will have to move here from the house. Would you say, hey, Dad, that's just fine. It's just fine. I, who am I to judge you? I don't care if it impacts me. You know, that's your decision. Or teenagers, what if you get a notice that you are $15,000 in debt on your credit card, if you have a credit card, a check card? $15,000. 
You say, wait a second, what happened? And you learn that, that someone has uh, gotten in and gotten all your accounts and there's some identity thievery going on. You're going to say, hey, that's, that's fine, man. How, how could I judge that? You know, it's just their inclination. Just let them go. In fact, let them, I, 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 let them go ahead. Let them take all my money. Let them, I don't have any more money left. They've already got me in debt. Let them keep doing it. Or someone slanders you, says something wrong, hurts your person. That's okay, man. You know, slander is a slanderer. Who am, who am I to judge? You see, homosexuality is listed in this list of sin. And we can't take that out and say, that one's okay. Well, but you see, it doesn't hurt me. The thief would hurt me. My dad, that would hurt. Slander, that would hurt. But this one doesn't hurt me. Well, if that's what you're saying, then you really don't understand your relationship with God and sin. Because you are now aligned as a believer. If you're a believer, you're aligned with your heavenly Father. And sin always hurts Him. He's the one who put down the rules. And if you're going to take sides with the person who's living in sin, whatever the sin, you are opposed to your heavenly Father who loves you so much that He sent His Son to die for you. Remember David when he committed adultery in Psalm 51? What did he say? What, was the first things of his, what were the first words of his confession? He says to God, against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Oh, wait a minute. What about Bathsheba? Yeah, her too. But it all starts with God. Sin is against the Father. And if you love the Heavenly Father, then you are not happy with sin against Him. For those of you struggling with this homosexuality, and I know there are some of you here, I've got some good news for you. The temptation of homosexuality can be tamed, and the sin of homosexuality can be redeemed. There's absolutely no scientific proof that there is a homosexual gene and since it's not genetic, it's a behavior that somewhere has been learned. And it can be changed. We'll start with Scripture on that. After this list of sin in verses 9 through 10, notice what Paul says in verse 11. And that is what some of you what? Were. Past tense. That's what you were. If you were something, that means you're not that any longer. You've changed. But you were washed. You were cleansed from your sin. You were sanctified. You were set apart for God. Your identity now is not your sexual orientation or even the temptation to your sexual orientation. Your identity is now in Jesus Christ. 
and you've been justified. You have been, you have been declared not guilty and you've been clothed with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That's what some of you were. You can change if you want to. Therein lies the issue for all the sins here. If I'm an adulterer, I can change. By the way, some of the, some of the most arrogant people I've talked to are those who have been involved in the sin of adultery. They don't want to change. If you're a thief and you don't want to change, if you're involved in the sin of materialism, of course, that wouldn't imply to anybody in in our area, of course. You don't want to change. You just keep going that track, right? Spending your money the way you want to. It's not God's money. It's yours. Dr. Jeffrey Santanova, a former fellow in psychiatry and child psychiatry at Yale University. Listen, Listen to this guy's pedigree. Fellow in psychiatry and child psychology at Yale University, past William James lecturer in psychology and religion at Harvard, holds a degree from MIT, Harvard, and the University of Texas. That's hard for me to say after they beat Oklahoma yesterday, but anyway. (laughs) He has written this book, great book, called Homosexuality and the Politics of Truth. It's published by Baker. Let me just uh, read very quickly uh, what he has to say uh, here regarding change. First thing he says is, Scientists have not discovered in any study a homosexual gene. So it's not genetic, therefore it can be changed. It's not innate, therefore it can be changed. Listen to what he says. He puts this in the, in the, in the, uh, in the man's perspective. If he, the homosexual who wants to change, enters the path to healing, he will find that the road is long and difficult but extraordinarily fulfilling. Through therapy, he will come to understand what true nature of his longings are, that they're not really about sex, and that he is not defined by his sexual appetites. In such a setting, he will very possibly learn how to turn a right to other men to gain from them a genuine, non-sexual, masculine friendship and intimacy, and how to relate a right to a woman as a friend, a lover, life companion, and God willing, mother of his children. Check this out. From communities of faith that turn to him in understanding, offering not only moral guidance but genuine healing, he will gain much in addition. Most importantly, the love he sought so vainly when he was young and finally turned away from it, he will find in the arms of the loving God. Those for whom this is no mere formula but a living reality are truly blessed whatever their wounds. And then he says this, if he is fortunate enough to be able to place all this in the context of his faith, then he will also find that he has traveled far along in the ancient pathway called sanctification. On this road, he will always have as his companion the great companion. So I want you to know that. I want you to know you can change. And I want you to know that God can start that change in you. And I want you to know that we have counseling here to help you. And I don't want you to be like John, who couldn't tell me. That's a heartbreak of mine. However I presented myself, John could never tell me. And I encourage you 
to email me confidentially, rmore at biblechapel.org, and I will get you the number of a counselor who will help you and help you on your road to recovery. I just want you to know that you can find healing in the context of this community. We don't, we don't accept sin, right? But we are all sinners. You'll fit right in. And God can bring tremendous healing. One more point. How do we, how do we respond as a church? Well, the only way to respond as a church is to respond like Jesus did. And so you remember the story, I won't read it, in Acts chapter 7 where <clears throat> Jesus is at a house of a Pharisee. A Pharisee he invited him over to eat, a Pharisee named Simon. And uh, when they're uh, eating, uh, a woman comes in. It says, a, a woman who had lived a sinful lifestyle. <laughs> we don't know what, exactly what it was. We, we can guess at it. But a woman who had lived a sinful lifestyle. And, and she went to Jesus right there in the middle of all these guys. And, and, and she was crying so much that she wet his feet with her tears and she wiped his feet with her hair. And she took an alabaster jar of perfume, about a year's wages, and she poured on his feet. And you remember what the people said there? If he knew, he can't, he can't be the prophet because if he knew who she was, there is no way he would let her touch him. That's, that's our response, isn't it, sometimes? See, we're all sinners. We all have problems with sin in that list I just gave or the other lists of sin in Scripture. But somehow we think homosexuality is a different sin or a worse sin. Oh, we can, you know, we can understand adultery. Yeah, yeah, in a weak moment. Yeah, I know how that could happen. But not homosexuality. That's different. All sin. All sin, from materialism to greed to thievery to murder to adultery to pornography to homosexuality, all sin is abhorrent to God. And as Christians, we can't be those who, who categorize the good sins and the bad sins. They are all bad in God's sight. So you remember what Jesus said to this guy? He said, uh, Simon, let me ask you a question. Um, let's suppose uh, there was a person who owed some money to someone, right? Uh, one guy owed, you know, uh, $50,000. And the other guy owed $500. But neither of them could pay it. And he went to the debtor, and the debtor forgave both of them. Paid in full. Don't worry about it. To the $50,000 debtor and the $500 debtor. And then Jesus said, who do you think will show more love to the person who forgave? Yeah, the $50,000 one. You know what Jesus was saying? He was saying, we all are in debt over our heads when it comes to sin. And it's only because of what Jesus has done only because of his work. Only because of his grace. That we can have a relationship with him. That we can be healed of the wounds of our past. And be saved from the sin that we would have headed to in the future.
As we take communion, let's think today of God's great grace. Some of you have been saved from much, and you can say, God, if it wasn't for what you saved me from, think about where I'd be. But some of us are a little smug, really, aren't we? We were saved when we were were young, and we look back and say, I've been pretty good all my life. Here's the problem with that one. All of us, every last one of us, know our weaknesses and know our propensity to sin. And we can get a little smug, but we should never be smug. Thank God for what he saved you from, what could have been. That's grace as well. So as you hold the bread in the cup, today think about God's grace to you and his saving grace for your sin. Father, thank you for our time now for communion. Blessed, I pray in Christ's name. Amen.